Welcome to another episode of the KGB Podcast. I'm Alan Kohler. Today, Stephen Bartholomews and myself speak to Telstra CEO Andy Penn. Andy took over the reins of Australia's largest telco in February and has been busy making his mark on the company at a time when whole industries are being constantly reshaped. Customers are transitioning to the NBN slowly and the old copper foundations of Telstra's business model are becoming less valuable by the day. Landline phones are quickly becoming a relic of the past in the mobile era, which is itself driving massive changes in the media and technology spaces. We begin the interview by asking Andy about Foxtel, a business that Telstra owns an interest in, but maybe of less value to the telco than in years past. Well, Andy, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Um, now, uh, uh, if I can just start with the news story that's around at the moment, is Fox, Foxtel, sorry, is Telstra looking to exit Foxtel? Look, Foxtel is a really important strategic asset for us. I think, you know, as we look forward into the future, you know, our customers and, and in people are watching more and more content, sports content in particular, and Foxtel has the best sport content uh, in Australia. Um, we obviously, you know, continue to reveal all of our assets and if we can structure them differently to make them more successful, you know, we'll obviously think about that. But no, this is a, a very important asset for us. So is that a no or a yes? I can't quite tell. But it's, a, it's a no that we're not looking to sell Foxtel. Oh, it is. Right. Okay. Um, because I've been wondering whether the reason for owning Foxtel or half of Foxtel still exists in the sense that it seemed to have been firstly there to help promote the HFC, get uh, usage of the HFC network going to, to support your infrastructure assets and Telstra is no longer going to be an infrastructure business. It's a great, Foxtel is a great business, has the best content, the best um, TV service uh, in Australia. Uh, we, we sell a lot of Foxtel for our customers and a lot of our customers experience Foxtel within their Telstra bundles. It's strategically really important business uh, for us. As I say, you know, we, we obviously are always open to how we organise the businesses and structure them to make them as successful as possible in the future, but we have no plans to sell our investment in Foxtel. Um, could I get you to talk a little more broadly then about the changing media landscape, which is sure. clearly, I mean, it tells us a big part of, a part of that. How do you see that uh, unfolding? Well, the one fact which is absolutely sort of uncontested is that people are watching more media. People are watching more content. They're watching more hours of content every week. And so, you know, there's a, a great appetite and there's great quality of media that's available, um, you know, whether it be sport media or whether it be series or movies or otherwise. The thing that is happening, of course, in media, not unlike many other industries, is that uh, the whole dynamics of the industry are changing as a consequence of the internet because the internet effectively provides another distribution method uh, in addition to normal broadcast or free-to-air or satellite uh, to actually distribute media. And that's why we're seeing a lot of change. Uh, but it's look, it's a really important market for it. It's a market that we're committed to. As you know, we just launched Telstra TV, which is fantastic. We just um, uh, are now signed up and the exclusive distributor of Apple Music from a telecommunications perspective in Australia. Uh, we just re-signed the digital rights um, for the AFL. You know, Foxtel continues to to grow its subscriber numbers, as you saw in the um, full year results. So uh, we're a very active participant in the media market, but it is going through quite a lot of dynamic change, which is exciting. Andy, I'm curious about the increased investment you've made, you've said you're making into, into mobiles and wireless. Um, extra half a billion dollars, I think it's five billion by 2017. Is that a, a wireless specific 
play, saying we've got a technology lead, we need to protect that and maintain that. Or are you looking to a post-MBN future where wireless becomes a much bigger substitute for fixed than we've experienced so far? Well, firstly, I would say that I don't expect wireless to ultimately be a substitute for fixed. We're seeing the volume of data on fixed grow at the same rate that we're seeing the volume of data grow on wireless. And, and that's the reality. I mean, data volumes are actually growing sort of in excess of 50% per annum, and that's because of this insatiable demand for connectivity, for, uh, for, for content, and we were talking about uh, consumption of media over IP. And so I think the two will continue to grow and the two will continue to complement each other. The reason we're investing in mobile is that we already have uh, the best network, the best network experience um, in Australia, and we know that our customers value that and, and they want that. We think that will be even more important in the future, and it's to make sure that we continue to deliver that in an environment where we're seeing very significant growth um, uh, in data. And in fact, last week we did an in in-network trial, the first in the world, where we got one gigabit per second download speeds on the mobile network, live in Telstra's current uh, network. So look, th this is going to be really important for the future. Your competitors, the other two wireless operators, are also investing very heavily now in their networks to try and narrow that differential in um, coverage and speeds. Um, how, how can you maintain a permanent advantage if they decide to keep investing? Well, look, we're just focused on providing what our customers want, which is the best network experience. And it's not just about how much you invest, it's actually about your network engineering expertise. It's about the partnerships that you have in delivering really cutting-edge technology. So, you know, in terms of rolling out LTE, we're the first in terms of LTE aggregation, LTE broadcast, as I say, the, the latest uh, performance we're getting in the network. So that, that's how we will continue to provide the best experience we believe in Australia is both the level of investment but also the partnerships and the expertise and in investing in the network engineering teams that actually are able to deliver it. That disproportionate market share you have in, in mobiles, does that translate, is, is, is that a structural advantage in a post-MBN environment in terms of fixed? Is there an ability to transfer that dominance into that MBN environment? Uh, look, I mean, we have the market share that we have as a consequence of customers wanting to get the best experience in, in networks in Australia. And so, you know, that enables us to continue to invest, uh, whether it be in fixed or whether it be uh, in mobile. I wouldn't say we have a, a structural advantage. I mean, uh, it's not really for me to comment on our competitors, but when I think about who our competitors are, it's not like they're small companies. They are very, very large global companies with equally as much capital as Telstra and if they choose to invest they you know have the opportunity to attract customers just as as we have done so um, I don't think we have any structural advantage whatsoever. I'm interested in that gigabit one gigabit per second that Down you've got way. in network right so a gigabit per second we're talking what a thousand million bits is that right yep per second yep so um, so what, what what are you doing there? Well, that, it's basically a combination of, um, th this is a partnership that we have with Ericsson, who's a, a critical uh, part of our network, the work that we've been doing in the network um, over many years. And in fact, I was in um, Helsinki, uh, sorry, in Stockholm uh, the week before last, and we just signed a, uh, a letter of intent in NOU to sort of further extend this sort of quite important strategic partnership we have with them. But basically, we're aggregating various different bands in our spectrum in conjunction with the way in which we're using the radio equipment 
uh, to effectively eliminate interference and other um, aspects which actually sort of slow down the radio communication to achieve very high. Right, so but is, that, is the intention to I, I should say, I'll be, let me be very clear, <laughs> I don't want to sort of claim sort of marketing which isn't fair. I mean, this isn't sort of ubiquitous across the network, this is trials. But the important point about it, and the important point about it is that other sort of organisations and other sort of network engineers will do that in a test environment, i.e. they do it in a lab, we're doing it, um, the trial was actually in our live network. No, but I'm wondering whether in the intention eventually is to offer that as a service to everybody. Oh, well, we, 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 we're not actually, we don't differentiate um, our service based on speed. I mean, our customers get the benefit of the network performance regardless of the plan that they're on and we'll continue to do that. We're just in, investing in making sure we can continue to improve the underlying network performance even more than it is today. So I'm just I'm just interested before before we get off this subject. I'm just No, I'm just interested what what does a gigabit per second mean? I mean how 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 long does it take to get a movie down for example? I mean what what sort of Well, what's, what's I mean and I'm wondering how when, long in the future it yeah, is sure. before mobile networks provide uh, are providing that kind of speeds. Well, but I, I think one of the dynamics you have to bear in mind is that if the volume of data on the networks, whether it be mobile or whether it will be fixed, wasn't increasing, then the technology innovation would, you know, would have a more profound impact. The bottom line is, is part of the technology innovation is absolutely needed to keep up with the speed of the data increases. And so as you move from standard definition movies to high definition movies, if you move from high definition movies to 4K movies, if you move from 4K movies to 3D movies, the rate, or sorry, the, the amount of data which is taken up by the content grows exponentially. And that's why it's important to invest in these sorts of capabilities to, to improve the download speeds and the capacity within the network. And if you think forward into the future, we think about, you know, there's a lot of R&D going into augmented reality, virtual reality type of uh, experiences and there's some products available in the market even now. Gaming, live gaming, you know, all of that stuff will demand an enormous amount of uh, data and that's why uh, you've got to see this technology innovation. A couple of years ago I think Kate McKenzie gave a speech where she talked about the potential need, in fact the urgent need perhaps, to shape the demand on, on, the, uh, on the network, i.e. rational demand because of the small proportion of users who use a vastly disproportionate amount of the band available bandwidth. There's a sort of technology innovations you're talking about. Does that relieve some of that pressure? Well, I mean, ultimately, you know, it's the same in, in, in lots of sort of situations. You sort of have this um, Pareto sort of situation where a small proportion of people use a large proportion of, uh, of volume. And so anything that we can do to improve the overall performance is going to make sure that the experience is sort of balanced throughout um, or rather that everybody gets a minimum level uh, of performance. I mean, a good example would be, let's take it when we go all we'll go to the uh, AFL final um, at the MCG and you've suddenly got 100,000 people crammed into a very small space. That, that then does create complexities and challenges. One of the initiatives that we're launching is LTE broadcast. So if everybody wants to actually download content or, and quite often, they're all actually downloading the same thing. You can predict what people are going to download because they want to download the highlights or the replays of the game that they're watching. What we can actually do is predict what they're going to watch and then broadcast it once linearly across the mobile network so that it doesn't actually create the congestion and then everyone's experiencing it at the same time.
So there are all sorts of techniques that we can use to improve. Have you this. also looked at tiered pricing? Uh, we don't. In, we don't have tiered pricing. I mean, uh, there is a lot of sort of considerations and discussions around tiered pricing, but that's not something we've implemented. And his predecessor, David Thody, had a massive impact on Telstra. He took over a business with a woeful reputation for customer service, and he helped reshape a very unpopular brand into one that's far friendlier to its consumers. In the next part of the interview, we ask Andy about the kind of changes he's trying to implement as CEO and the kind of company Telstra may be in the future. If, um, if you ask most people what, you know, what David Thody's time at Telstra was about, it was about uh, probably moving from sort of an infrastructure company to a more customer service oriented business. And I get the feeling listening to you now, but also you know, listening to what you've said in the past, that um, if anything, the Telstra under your leadership is more going to be about uh, including customer service, but also innovation. Yeah, Would that be right? Look, it, it is, Alan. I mean, the first thing I should say is that customer service, customer advocacy is, is what we're trying to achieve through improving customer service is my number one priority, as it was with David. It is absolutely paramount uh, that, that we do that. Now, part, part of the answer to that question is, is obviously innovation, but that's not the only part of the answer to the question. My, since I, I sort of started, I mean, I've really manifested this vision, which in fairness, David and I sort of you know, discussed many times, which is about making Telstra a world-class technology company. And the, the reason is, is that if you think about what's happened in the world over the last sort of five to 10 years is that there has been an increasing convergence between the old worlds of telecommunications and technology. And the smartphone's been one, one of the big drivers of that, but not the only driver. Because if you think back 10 years ago, what people used the mobile phone for, it's basically SMS and, and voice. Whereas you think about what they use a mobile device for today, it is a, a mini computer and so, what that means is that the worlds of telecommunications and technology have converged and there is both an opportunity and a need for Telstra to be at the cutting edge of what is happening from a technology perspective and to be innovative in a technology perspective so we can actually deliver to customers a better experience of what they're using their communication devices for today as distinct from what they were using them. But, that, but that's going to take another another change of culture at Telstra, isn't it? I mean, what, what David did was change, to change the culture of Telstra towards customer service. Innovation is a whole different game Well, it's a technology. Absolutely. I mean, if you're, in, if you're up against the Googles and the Amazons and the Apples of the world, um, they're whole different companies. Well, it's, it's a journey we're on. And I, would, I'm not saying, I, don't, I wouldn't express it as saying we're up against the Googles and the Apples of the world. Telstra is a magnificent position to basically provide a window for our customers into what is possible from the leading and cutting edge technology available in the world today. People like Google, Apple, Microsoft, Ericsson, Facebook, whoever they may be, they're our partners. We're able to actually bring that to life through the quality of our network. If I take our cloud business as an example, cloud is the fastest growing part of our business. It's growing in excess of 30% per annum. I think we have something like 10% market share in cloud today in Australia. In Australia. Because if, if you're a company that wants cloud, see the complicated thing about cloud, I mean at one end of the spectrum it's, it's technology, it's about running applications in a data centre off premises. But actually the really sophisticated and complicated thing about a cloud is actually how do I get the data in and out of the data centre? How do I actually get the data where I want the data to be? How do I do that uh, with the right level of latency 
also how do I do that securely and protecting that data? That's a telecommunications challenge, that's a network challenge and it's in the interface between network and technology where I think the most innovation is happening today and where there's a fantastic opportunity for Telstra. That's why our network application services business uh, is growing north of 20% per annum. It's now a $2.5 billion business. We get from our enterprise customers uh, pretty much the same amount in terms of revenue from them for the services part in, in the technology space as we do actually for the underlying communication today. Well, there's been a lot of focus on mobile um, um, joint ventures offshore and the e-ventures type stuff, which is kind of sexy. Um, the big investment you've made offshore and sort of the big platform for offshore growth has been in the region and its cable networks and mm -hmm. data centres with PACnet and the, the restructuring of reach. How's that tracking and what is that, that potential there? Yeah, sure. Well, in terms, so the acquisition of PACnet is, is a really um, strategically important uh, acquisition. Firstly, how's it tracking? It's going, it's going really well. We're very happy with the acquisition on a basically on a post synergies basis. It was an acquisition about four times uh, EBITDA and we're on track to deliver that. So it's pretty value accretive from that perspective. But, but more interestingly than that, what it's done is it's basically doubled our network footprint for international carriage in the region. It's increased the number of points of presence that we have and also the number of data centres that we have as well. So if we think back to the last conversation where we're talking about all these uh, services aspect of, of the business, including cloud computing, as that's growing as customers are increasingly looking for productivity improvements. You know, many of our customers are not just doing business in Australia, they're wanting to do business uh, into Asia as well. That actually happens through a network, through points of presence, and ultimately through data centres. And so this is giving us the platform to basically build the services layer on for all of that, um, those international um, enterprise customers. So around managing their networks for them, managing security for them, cloud services, sophisticated unified communication technologies for them uh, as well. I mean, a good example would be uh, in PacNet, um, we uh, basically inherited through that acquisition uh, a VPN, IP VPN license in China, which is not an easy thing for a foreign operator to access. We've got behind that, we've got two data centres. We've actually already signed up a very significant West Coast household name technology company uh, in a pretty material contract there because they want we do a lot of transmission for the over-the-top players, so the Googles and uh, is a big customer. That's not Google, by the way, this customer. It's confidential who this customer is, but, but for people like that, we do a lot of transmission from the west coast of Australia into the Asia-Pacific region, and they not only want to bring their data into the Asia-Pacific region and out again, but they also want to do it through points of presence and through data centres and through managed services that our network is starting to build and give us greater capacity to do. Is that a business built on Australian customers? Well, it's actually got three legs to it. Well, sorry, four legs to it, I should say. It is our enterprise customers in Australia who want to do business um, in Asia. We're also picking up customers within Asia that are doing business throughout Asia. But we also have what we call sort of feeder markets in London and also in the US. In the US, it tends to be uh, our biggest customer segment is in the new tech companies. So companies on, in Silicon Valley and the west coast of Australia which have got large volumes of traffic going in and out of Asia. 
that's a big market for us. And then also in London, financial services companies uh, doing business in and out of Asia as well. Not exclusively, we, we service other markets as well, but they're, they're probably... So what the sort of customers ones. are they? What are they buying? They're buying... Uh, international uh, transmission. International transmission. So it's international transmission, but, I mean, it's a bit like if you sort of think about here domestically. So at one level, a customer needs uh, the transmission of data, but, but actually the question is, what, what service are they trying to, ultimately, are they trying to sort of solve for? So that in giving, is giving us the opportunity to go further up the value chain. So in addition to the international transmission, we can actually start providing a managed service and then managing the whole network experience for them and then overlaying on that the cloud solution as well. And so that's part of the whole strategy. So is Telstra becoming a kind of an international network services business, you know, with a big cloud business in Australia? Well, I mean... Is that how we should look at it? I mean, Telstra... We did, we did 18 months ago, separately set up our enterprise services division and call it Global Enterprise Services. So absolutely, this is about taking the services layer as well as the carriage layer and actually creating a global business with that, with a predominant, sorry, with a, I guess with an initial focus with expanding that into the Asia Pacific, but we've got these other key um, markets as well that we're servicing and PacNet was an important platform acquisition. We, we basically represent about one third of all lit cable traffic within the region. We've got something like 400,000 kilometres of submarine cable networks throughout the Asia Pacific region with about 120 points of presence. And could, so give us a, could you give us a sense of revenue proportions when you, when you finished here, what, say five years time? Or 10. Sorry, 20 years. I beg your In 20 years' time, when you finish being CEO, I, I should say, what, what are the revenue proportions? No, I should say, one of, one of my old bosses said to me, Andy, he said, never, never set proportional targets. He said, because you can get there the wrong way. Um, so what I've learned... Oh, I don't like, mean the target, no, but just no, give I a know, sense of know, how, you, but, but, well, how you picture the well, company. Well, let me put it this way. I mean, so what I've learned in life is what you do is you grow every part of your business to its maximum potential and the proportions that look after themselves. You would expect over time a business internationally to grow faster than uh, a business domestically in the sense it's a, a bigger market and, and within Asia typically they're faster growing markets. So that's the opportunity for us. Today uh, it probably represents about 10%, a little over 10% of our business um, and obviously we'd like to grow that but I'm not going to give predictions about how. Okay, well I'm just wondering about how we should think about Telstra. Uh, no longer as a phone company well, in the future. Phone company, mobile, you know, fixed line, that's it really. Uh, that's the past. The future Well, I is think about Telstra, you know, our, our aspiration, our vision is to be a world-class technology company. That's, that's our aspiration. Now, and when I say technology company, that doesn't mean to say that we're going to, we, we want to be Google or Microsoft. It, that's not the point. The point is that we have a unique position to provide a window into the, what is available from a world-class technology perspective and deliver that integrated with network experiences to deliver a great solution. And that's why, so for our cloud business, it's what we call a hybrid cloud solution. So we partner with Amazon Web Services, we partner with Azure, we partner with a VMware to bring their cloud solutions, but we can orchestrate it through our network and provide the managed service around it to customers in Australia. The health industry may seem irrelevant for a telecommunications company like Telstra, but e-health has become an area of real interest for many technology businesses in recent years. The growth potential in this space is huge, but it also presents risks as Telstra extends beyond its traditional areas of competency. 
So we finished this interview by asking Andy about how Telstra has managed that risk as it continues to expand its e-health portfolio. Tell us about how uh, the health business, Telstra Health, fits into that vision. Well, Telstra Health is, is a little bit more about um, one of the things that we decided as a company is that because technology is having such a significant impact on so many different industries, that we should identify some long-term areas where we know that they're going to be significant. We're not quite sure exactly how that's going to play out, but we know that we have some capability and we should start to make some seed investments to build, um, build capability in those opportunities. So, and electronic health was one of them. Uh, and that's because you know, we see, as, as you would obviously see as well, the pressure of healthcare costs is going to increase significantly uh, ahead of the rate of growth in GDP as a consequence of demographics. And technology can play a very significant role in improving the efficiency of the system, which is at the moment relatively highly fragmented uh, and, and, and inefficient in some respects. So areas such as uh, remote diagnostics, um, telemedicine, secure messaging, uh, health record keeping. There's lots of areas where technology can play a role in improving the efficiency of the system and, th and that's where we're investing. You talked about aspiration a moment ago and I suppose e-health and what you've done there represents kind of a slightly different kind of risk taking for Telstra and, and uh, more entrepreneurialistic kind of approach to what you do. Does aspiration for you equate to actually taking more risk, being more entrepreneurial? And if, if so, what does that mean for the way the organisation has to be structured and, and directed? Yeah, look, I mean, we have to be considered and measured in everything that we do. But yes, you know, we are pushing the boundary in certain areas. I mean, is it ultimately more risk taking? I mean, I would argue that, you know, doing nothing is, is taking as much risk anyway, because in the end, it's not, I don't, you know, it's not that we need to be more entrepreneurial to be successful in these areas. I mean, of course that we do, but I mean, if that were to suggest that we don't need to be more entrepreneurial to increasingly you know, maintain a competitive position in our core business, that, that would be wrong. We have, to, we have to inculcate that more broadly into the organisation as well. Um, but, but, so, but yes, it does mean that you know, we're arguably in some areas we're, we're, we're going up the risk curve a little bit, and I would say that in relation to investments in Asia or of a different risk dynamic, investments in e-health or of a different risk dynamic. How are we responding to that? How are we dealing with it? In fact, I've just made a, a fairly significant set of structural changes where I've actually separated out the growth businesses from our sort of core uh, domestic businesses so that we can actually uh, set them up more independently and, and operate them and um, put, put um, different sets of KPIs and uh, parameters around them so that we sort of protect them from maybe some of the uh, processes which you need in more highly regulated parts of the business. Do you, give, do you give those people a license to thrill, do you? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. What, what I would say, and this is a bit of a, a misunderstanding, is that um, startups and entrepreneurial businesses are as disciplined, um, uh, you know, in many ways they're more disciplined than than large complex organisations. In a sense, you know, these startups, I mean, put, putting us aside as an investor for a second, but these startups which are sort of raising capital for the next 12 months and then they've got to work out where they're going to get the capital from the next one, they've got very, very clear set of KPIs and objectives and deliverables. They may not be sales and 
um, and profit, they may be around customer acquisition, product development, but, but we have very, very clear and robust KPIs. So the conversations that we have around on the quarterly performance reviews around our sort of entrepreneurial startup businesses are as sort of hard-nosed and as quantitatively focused as they are on the core business. It's just that the, the KPIs are, are of a different nature. And how does that um, change the role of the CEO in this, in this new world where you're actually taking not just an organisation with you on that journey, but also other stakeholders? Well, I, I think one of the jobs of a CEO, particularly in a large, complex organisation like Telstra, is to be an advocate for the vision. I mean, you, you have to, you, you have to um, both communicate the vision with a sense of passion and conviction and, and personal belief that comes from that conviction, but also with a sense of clarity that people actually understand the path you're trying to follow. And, and to your point, that's as equally important with all stakeholders, so whether it be the internal team, whether it be with your customers, whether it be with your shareholders, uh, with your partners, etc., and, and that's part of the CEO's job. You spend a lot of time doing it. I, I've just been—I've had three weeks uh, on the road, meeting with all of our key strategic partners. Um, I've been in Helsinki, Stockholm, Shanghai, Israel. Some of the team went to Estonia, which was very interesting. I didn't get to go there, unfortunately. I had to go to Barcelona to see some investors, but. Yeah, it's a pretty active role. But has that, um, has that role changed since the last time you were CEO? Uh, of a big company? No, I don't think so. I think that you know, the role of the CEO is always to be the advocate of the vision and, um, and you know, very, providing a very clear framework and cl clear communication and um, providing a, a sense of uh, engagement and purpose for the people within the organisation, as well as providing a roadmap for shareholders um, because... If you don't bring your shareholders along on the journey as well, then you know, you're know you going to have another set of challenges. Andy, you've been a CEO previously, but uh, does the, not just the scale of Telstra, but where it is in its history. I mean, David did a really good job of kind of settling some of the legacy issues and setting a pathway to deal with things like customer service. Do you feel the weight of responsibility of creating whatever the new Telstra is going to be? I feel a weight of, I feel a weight of responsibility for our shareholders, for our customers, and for all of our people. I mean, it's not one though that, that keeps me awake at night, it's one that, that excites me. But I, I, want, I want to say that I feel the weight of that responsibility because I don't want anyone to think that I, I take this lightly. This is a really important organisation. It represents probably, it features probably in every uh, individual superannuation savings in Australia, either directly or indirectly. It, basically, it's the core backbone of the communication infrastructure in Australia, which sits behind the whole economy, and we represent you know, tens of thousands of people's careers. So it's a really responsible uh, job, but I think it's a wonderful opportunity. I mean, Telstra is in, it's operating in such a fascinating and exciting and fast-moving um, landscape, and it's got some real proven capabilities and some skills. We, we, um, we really are, um, we feature above our sort of natural position in the world from a uh, how we're regarded it from, an in, from an innovation point of view and from the perspective of the sorts of things that we do. We're respected by you know, global technology companies around the world, which is, which is really exciting. And it, the company can play a great role for our customers, but also you know, just in terms of helping Australia you know, continue to be successful. I think we'll leave it there. Thanks very much, Andy. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. Thanks, guys. Thanks again to Andy for his time, and thanks to you for listening. 
If you're interested in the future of technology businesses like Telstra, head to Business Spectator and the Australian Business Review websites. As always, you can find all episodes of this podcast series on iTunes, where you can subscribe to keep track of each new interview, and on our SoundCloud page. We'll be back next week with a new interview with John Durkin from Coles. Until then, thanks for listening.